0: Hey everyone, it's Kobe. It's Kyle. And we are back with another episode of The boo, Healing Circle. Boo, 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 boo. I'm very excited for the day where you stopped doing that. Really? Cannot wait. What? Cannot wait.
1: You, married, you knew what this was when you married me.
0: And yet here we are. <laughs> we are back with a, another installment of our season about... Um, is it a season?
1: Say it the right way. It's a series. Right, Our series about, about sex.
0: Sikhs. Oh my God. Let's talk about Sikhs. Um, so, today we are doing an episode I'm really excited to share about. And um, it's really personal to us. Again, this is something we want to discuss, but it's also something that um, we are not experts on. <laughs> You know, um, so as we share, we're sharing. I am sharing with like a, a clinical tint <laughs> to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm really just sharing as a person, as, as a mother, as a wife, as a black woman. Um, and I know Kyle's doing the same But yeah. as a black man and yeah. a father and a husband.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I guess I am a black man, a father and husband. I'm not a woman and a mother and all the other things. And a wife, and right. Life. Yeah.
0: So today, I'm really just going to ask Kyle questions about his history with porn addiction and before I even ask questions I feel like I just outed you I would love for you to take a moment or two to share about your journey your experience with watching porn being addicted to porn however you want to identify with it
1: yeah um so one this is a conversation we decided to have though it's vulnerable though I got a whole job and this is going on the internet and all the things. The <laughs> yeah. reason why I am, I wouldn't say I'm super comfortable talking about it, but the reason why I will not not talk about it is, one, I'm a Christian, and I've been taught to boast in my weakness. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people who boast in their weakness in a way that makes them look strong. Yeah. And they're not really trying to, they're just trying to convince you that they're better than you. And so they tell you a weakness that looks like a strength, Yeah. So they they can prop themselves up. I'm just so giving. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so generous. I've done that before. So I'm not saying like, oh, whatever. I've I've been guilty of that. Yeah. This will truly be me boasting in my weakness. Um, One, because I think it's important that as we have these conversations and as so many people like who listen to the podcast view, in some ways they view me as like, oh, like,
0: this great black man. This great black man who's <laughs> yeah.
1: a father and, and yeah. in touch with his emotions and all that stuff. You don't get some of the other side. Like, yeah. I tell people all the time, there was a point when people, there were there were folks that thought that being with me would be a fairy tale. And I would say to those individuals, <laughs> like, no, if you knew what it took to be with me, you would recognize that Kobe is not lucky she is, she's committed. You know, like, we're in this together. I'm not some perfectly formed human being. Like, it has cost her a lot to love me. And if you tried to love me, you probably couldn't, right? And so, one, I want to make clear I'm not some sort of perfect person. Um, but none two... Of us are. Yeah, none right, of us yeah. are. But when you do podcasts like this, it can make it seem like the people behind the mic have it figured out. We're, we're trying to be intentional about I mean therapy, dispelling that myth
0: Yeah.
1: two it's easy for me to quote unquote out myself about because not only statistically can I be very certain that most of the men listening to me struggle with this in some way shape or form anecdotally I don't know a man that does not struggle with this in some way shape or form not like oh like I don't know very many men I don't know a man Not a man I have had a deep conversation with. Not a single person in my life. I'm just going to let that sit. In my life. That has been born at least like since the internet was around. That doesn't have some sort of struggle with this. And so it is normal in this culture. But it's not normal to be talked about. And... I think I owe it to people um, just to be honest and vulnerable about how you can even get to this place because I think so many people are bound up um, and enslaved by this.
0: Yeah.
1: Mainly because no one really will talk to them about it Yeah. and no one who has actually succeeded in, in like moving forward in some sort of healing is like willing to really share that journey because it's shameful. Yeah, And I'm not saying I'm not ashamed at all. Um, It's not an easy conversation, but I think it has to be had. And it's more important to me that it's being had than that I go on looking like some person that's got a whole bunch together.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just want to say on air that I appreciate your vulnerability because, you know, um, as someone who hasn't struggled, struggled with that but has been affected by it, I think it's hard to communicate second hand what it's like you know yeah. like i can i can only i can communicate pretty well what it's like to be affected by it and you know we'll talk about that but um i can't communicate what it's like you know um and i think that so many times as christians we're like our darkest hours are meant to are meant to minister to people, but don't nobody want to actually share what their darkest hour is. Yeah. You know, like we want to have these ministries that touch people's hearts, but we don't want to talk about the areas of our hearts that we didn't even want to be seen or touched, you know? Yeah. And so um, I love you and I appreciate you sharing.
1: Yeah. And, and to be clear, I am what I guess we would call in recovery. Yeah. Like I'm, for the most part, I'm talking about, you know scars and not necessarily open wounds i've got a lot of work to do (laughs) this is a journey yeah and it's a daily fight it's like it's something i have to be intentional about i'm not just walking around like oh i've i haven't had the the urge to do anything you know in six years like no like it's it is still difficult
0: yeah
1: and i think one day it won't be difficult but it still is so i'm like i'm in recovery
0: yeah And by recovery, he means it's not something that he's actively engaging in, but something that he is actively being wary of, lest he end up engaging in it. Yeah. So in the mental health world, the idea and the um, verbiage of recovery is about rather active recovery is that, you know, speaking about someone who's been addicted to something, whether it's a substance, a state of mind, whatever it is. Um, and the idea of using the word recovery, is speaking about them abstaining actively from that action, though they know that the proclivity to engage in that activity is still there emotionally and neurologically. Yeah. Um. So let's get into some questions. Let's do it. I'm just gonna, It's just gonna kind of be like a rapid fire question. So first question. Um, Oh, and you guys, I chose these questions because I think that these are some questions, obviously, I'm not going to get it perfect, but these are some questions I think people who don't understand addiction to pornography have, and so I'm asking these questions. Some of these I've heard the answer to and some of them I haven't. Um, I haven't shared all the questions with Kyle, but um, I'm asking these questions from the perspective, um, hopefully, of those of you slash us who don't fully understand this, and asking um, so that Kyle can share his perspective um, as someone who has experienced it firsthand.
1: Yeah, and it'll be my perspective. I'm not the spokesperson, but I am the (laughs) spokesperson for my life.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, first question. How did you get introduced to porn?
1: So, funnily enough... I got introduced to porn via FOMO, like Mm -hmm. fear of missing out. I had had um, very unhealthy, real-life sexual interactions since I was, like, 12. So my interactions were just with with real people. Um, I didn't have any virtual interactions, really, until much, much later. And I was in college. It was my freshman year. And hanging around... It may have been senior year, I kind of started to hear about it, but I had no access to it until I was a freshman in college and had my own computer and all that stuff. And I can remember being around other guys and then making jokes about their favorite site or their favorite actor, and I didn't know any of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like almost, not almost, I was embarrassed that I didn't like, I'd never heard of these sites and I never really looked, I never looked at it. Yeah. And so I first started looking at it just so like I could like quote unquote fit in. Mm. Because it was it was such I wouldn't say it came up in every conversation or every other conversation, but it came up I would not go three or four days hanging out with a bunch of eighteen year old men in college and it not come up. Mm, so so it's it came very up commonplace. Uh, yeah, it was like it was common to talk about it was common to discuss and you'd have like people like debating like who's better like it was LeBron and and Michael Jordan like it was (laughs) like a common conversation and I Mm. could not
0: engage
1: engage with it and so I was ashamed because it made me feel like I was less of a man in some way like I wasn't Mm. really masculine because Mm. I hadn't really gotten introduced to it and so I started googling and um
0: Google since where you don't want to be.
1: Google messed me up, man. Mm.
0: Okay. So, how did you end up getting addicted to porn? Like, how did you end up getting to a place where you realize like this is now out of my control?
1: Yeah. Um It's a nuanced Kind of conversation because I can I can think about it now with with sort of retrospect and with wisdom about what was going on in my head uh-huh. um, back then. <laughs> but back then I couldn't tell you how I got to that place. It was mm. you know my dad told me growing up like how does a man become evil? He he comes evil one becomes evil one inch at a time. If you take one inch and you just go one inch further and one inch further, eventually you'll look up and you've gone a mile. Yeah, That's true of righteousness and goodness and true of evil, right? Mm. And I took an inch and an inch and an inch and those inches look like looking at porn and then looking at porn twice in a day and looking at porn three times in a day and four times and five times and six times and the skipping class and then being late to meetings and then all of a sudden a year and a half later it's consumed my whole life mm. in the way that like it i would my my day was scheduled around it I'd wake up early to mm-hmm. make sure I had time and i you know i'd come home at lunch and it's it was like it was like i was a, a smoker Mm. you know think of think of cigarettes that the exact same way it was Mm. something that kind of I was peer pressured into in some ways and then that peer pressure inflamed legitimate trauma and and identity issues around sex specifically Mm -hmm. Um, and it made me feel good quote-unquote it was like this nicotine sort of issue and then
0: like a a mini high that only lasts for so long it only lasts for
1: so long and so then you you have to go back and you have to go back and you have to go back and all of a sudden you're you're two packs a day and you don't really know exactly how you got there.
0: Yeah. Being a busy mom, a full-time entrepreneur, and a pregnant lady means sleep is precious. That is why I love our partner and sponsor for this podcast MG12. Did you know magnesium is considered to be one of the most critical minerals in the human body? Lack of magnesium can cause accelerated skin aging, diabetes, anxiety, depression, kidney stones, muscle weakness, fatigue, insomnia, and so many more mental and physical problems. So, what's the solution to our magnesium deficiencies? MG12. MG12 is a North Carolina-based family-owned business that has tons of magnesium products like magnesium oil, sports bombs, soaps, body bombs, and my favorite, the bath salts. This is what put me all the way to sleep, you guys. I soaked in it the other day, did my nightly routine, and I was out in literally minutes. I usually wake up feeling lots of cramps in my calves or wake up in the middle of the night with restless leg syndrome, which is common for lots of pregnant women. Ever since I started using MG12, I have not had either since. Our listeners can now get 10% off of any purchase from MG12 using this coupon code Healing Circle. Again, that's 10% off of any magnesium product from MG12 using the code Healing Circle. Now back to our episode. I guess my next question is, what did porn make you feel? What did watching porn make you feel in your everyday life that you didn't feel before?
1: So, this is especially, my context is probably atypical. There are a lot of folks who get addicted because they, not because, but at least on the surface, their, their reasoning is like, well, they don't have access to real relationships in real life. And so virtual relationships are the only ones that they can really have.
0: Yeah, meaning that they're single men. They're single men who... who,
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're single folks who maybe are not, let's say, conventionally attractive, don't necessarily have all of the opportunities to engage with people. Maybe they're shy. Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they're not very good at connecting with people. And so, you know, like, they find themselves connecting in a much safer way. That wasn't me. I was always very comfortable around people in general and people of the opposite sex in, in particular. And um, you had
0: opportunity to gauge with people sexually?
1: I had a, a lot of opportunities and I turned those opportunities down.
0: Yeah, so why? That was
1: that so that's kind of like I can remember having women literally come to my dorm room naked and like and proposition me and I would turn them down and like that was actually semi common. So it wasn't like I didn't have opportunities. I had more opportunities than than many people, I would assume. But I always said, no, this is where the purity culture sort of issues come into play. Because we've mm. talked about on Christian, Christian purity culture on, on the male side. Um, I was convinced that my desires were sinful. And so... I wanted, I had a whole lot of trauma around the idea of living up to, one, my father, who's an amazing man, and a pastor, and I'm the son of a pastor, and there was just a sense that I have to be certain things, um, and so I wanted to kind of retain my my purity in some way, even though I really wasn't, I was skirting around every line that was there, but there were certain things I wasn't doing that made me feel like I had value, Um mm. Because my value was in question for me, I was molested when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, by a, a kid in the neighborhood, and that really messed me up. To 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 make a broad f- phrase on something that's much more complex than just messed me up. Um, yeah. But I had this context where, for me, it was a place where. I could be right. I struggled much of my life with the idea that everything I did was not a success. It was just varying degrees of failure. Nothing was good enough for me in my own mind. And we could get into how that started, but to put like I took the SAT 5 times. The first time I got like a like a 2100 or 2080 out of 2400 a pretty decent score. I took it five more times because I was ashamed of how low my score was. (laughs) Um, And I I got better scores and all that stuff. But it was like, to get a very high score was not me saying, oh man, look how hard I worked and how successful I was in doing this. It was, you should have gotten higher. To do well in anything was never praise that I did something well it was shame that I had not done better or that it took me too long or it was too difficult to do well and porn was the one thing that like it it's built to make you feel like you are winning all the time mm,
0: how so okay, well, the, I'm the, I'm yeah tracking, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah I had a lot of I had a lot of insecurities about my sexual prowess um even though I had positive feedback with individuals, I knew that I was a virgin um, in that very specific way. And I was very scared about intimacy with my wife one day. And porn was like this, I guess I convinced myself that I was like training. (laughs) I was getting myself ready for real intimacy, which now is so stupid. But at, at 18 or 19, it's kind of common. It's like it's not a weird thing. It's yeah. it's pretty typical. And so I, it gave me a sense of security that the future would be okay. Like all these different fears went away. Um, it was a way for me to escape.
0: Mm.
1: I got transported into a different world, a world where... Um, where nothing bad ever happens, where where everything I want is there for me whenever I need it, um, and where I get to feel as affirmed as I want to feel exactly the way I want to feel it in whatever way I, needed, I felt like I needed to feel it.
0: Like this controlled feedback loop.
1: Yeah. It, it, it helped me to feel like I was in control of my world. And, um, it made me feel, I don't even want to say it made me feel good. Obviously it it felt good, but it was the safest place in the world for me Mm. and the ways that I, when, when you have a certain amount of success, the world can make you feel like any fears you have are a character flaw. Um, but I had a lot of success in a lot of different ways and yet i was terrified at every moment that the rug would pull be pulled from out underneath me and everyone would realize that i was a fraud i was a sm- people thought i was smart but i felt like i was actually dumb and one day people would realize it and then i would let my whole family down i would shame everyone that knew me i was the son of a pastor and there was a whole bunch of different people that kind of had made, had built me up to be certain things. And I didn't feel like I could live up to any of those things. But I did not, I didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah. And so it was like, well, this was a safe place where I could be whatever I felt like I wanted to be. Yeah. And it, it let me escape.
0: And it, like what I'm hearing you say is there was like this underlying emotional reality that you used porn to escape from and Mm -hmm. to silence right it's kind of like this negative core belief that was being screamed at you like this immense pressure to be perfect right and you know if we're off air, we would dig into, and we have digged, in, yeah. digged, wow, dug. have dug into, like where did, like who taught you that you had to be perfect, yeah, right, yeah. like because yeah. you know those are those are things you got as a child, and you did not develop those negative core beliefs yourselves; they were imparted to you, but you know implicitly or explicitly, and like that's kind of this is me like briefly showing how I, I would walk through with anyone, a client, someone I love, you know. Figuring out where your trauma is. Yeah. Right? Because the externalization of our trauma is not the trauma. (laughs) It can become it. It,
1: The the funny thing is, you know, if you ask me what I felt before, I normally felt anxious. Mm -hmm. And this was like, this was my cigarette. This was my way to calm myself down. In the middle of it, I felt great. And then as soon as that high was over, I felt deep, soul clenching shame. Mm. And that soul just to the depths of my bones, shame felt good for me. That shame was actually what I was looking for. It was this moment where, for me, I had evidence that I actually wasn't any of the things that people thought about me. It was like the world would say, like, oh, you're you're all these wonderful positive things. And I was saying in my head, like, no, I'm actually not. I'm an imposter like just huge imposter syndrome and then after I had done this this act that I had so much shame about it was like oh like here's proof that I'm not ish here's proof that I'm weak that um, I have no discipline that I have no diligence that I like here's proof that Mm -hmm. the near the story I'm always telling myself in my head is actually true and it's more true than the things that other people who love me are saying about me. Yeah. It was like this, okay, I'm not crazy. I think I'm I'm crap. I think I'm nothing. And now I have real evidence. Mm. Because the getting a ninety on the paper wasn't necessarily real evidence. <laughs> so yeah. I, it wasn't real evidence. Getting you know like failing in these sort of different ways, which for me were huge, but for other people were like, bro, really success. <laughs> you, you didn't go to class and you got an A, like, and you're upset about it. Um, and this was like, this was my moment to be like, no, what I'm seeing is real, and the way that I feel about myself is real, and it it gave me validity in hating myself, mm. which is what I what I wanted most of all. I wanted a safe place to hate me.
0: Yeah, it almost almost sounds like you're saying like you wanted a place to resist the urge to be perfect.
1: Yeah. And and it to be normal that perfection is completely unattainable. Which yeah. obviously a healthy <laughs> framework would be perfection is unattainable. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. For this it was like, Yes, this is where I get to be not perfect and I get to shame myself about my imperfections. Um and kinda of beat myself down. Um and now really because of my trauma. If you don't know, like I got molested and I also got beat up a lot in ways that I used to joke about, but now in retrospect, I'm like, oh man, like that's most people don't get beat up that much that often
0: to that extent. To that extent,
1: yeah. Like to put it in perspective, one of my main bullies when I was younger is serving a triple life sentence because he killed so many people. And no one was surprised Mm. (laughs) because he tried to kill me several times. Yeah. To the point where I thought it was normal that when people beat you up, they were trying to actually kill you. Mm. And so, like, there's just, there was so much trauma married to all these different things. And so the idea that I would see myself and berate myself to the point of wanting to die felt safe because it was like, this is what's normal. Mm. the times when i feel good about myself that's a lie Mm. the times when i feel like i'm nothing
0: this is real life Mm. and porn gave me that yeah if you know me you know i absolutely love my essential oils that's why we're so excited to be sponsored by nature's fusions Nature's Fusions is a Christian family-owned essential oil and hemp extract company that is dedicated to giving people the tools they need to improve their lives and their natural health. The best part, they're affordable, and I have a forever guarantee. That means that you can return their essential oils for any reason after any amount of time for a full refund. Use the coupon code Campbell to get 15% off your next purchase. The code never expires, so you can use it as many times as you want. Again, that coupon code is Campbell to get 15% off your next Nature's Fusions purchase. Visit the link in our show notes to grab your goodies. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I am so, I'm giving him like crazy faces right now because I am so resisting the urge of like developing insight for you because I'm, as you're saying this, I'm like developing all these connections of like, and this connects to this and this and this and this, but like that's for off air, that's for <laughs> off air, so y'all got to hear our married conversations. Um, This is a bit of an odd question, but I think, yeah. I know I've had it, I'm sure someone else has had it, but like in the midst of all that emotional stuff, logistically did it matter what kind of porn you watched? You know, because I think I, I know for me as a woman and we've had these conversations where I've yeah. been like uh so what did they look like? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. because there's just kind of like this, it, does it have to do with with what what I look like? Does it have mm-hmm. to do with yeah. what, like it like is is you, in this utopia where you are free and unburdened like is this woman white (laughs) you know like is Mm -hmm. this woman asian is she black is she does she have dark skin does she have light skin you know is she is she polynesian like is she hispanic like and because i think our brain naturally builds these connections right yeah yeah yeah
1: well i'll be the first one to say humans say people say that they can compartmentalize but that is simply not a human trait it's it's
0: actually not possible it's very interesting
1: it does not exist. Now yeah. she's got a whole bunch of like scientific reasons why that's not the case, but I just know from my own experience everything's connected. Um and so I think it's a very appropriate question to ask w- did it matter what I was looking at? Because if you thought that these things didn't connect then it would be a dumb question, but if you know that everything does connect then you know it's an important question. For me, I don't know about for other people, but for me, it didn't matter. Um, it mattered what the male looked like. <laughs> it mattered that the male was a black person, uh was, was a black man because I it was about me seeing myself in you know, in these images mm. and feeling in the moment, feeling strong and desired and wanted and almost a way that feeling felt like that was
0: you engaging in that.
1: Yeah. I was never watching in the sense of, like, oh, he's doing something to that person. Or, like, it was always, I'm putting myself in the story. Mm. I don't know if that's the case for other people, but that's what it was for me. And so it didn't really matter, like, if it was a white woman or an Asian person or, like, it didn't matter. Um, It just mattered that I saw myself in it. Mm. And for so long like just like with with any other folks that get caught into opioids like maybe it starts with something light but it it typically you need more and more to get a stronger high so yeah, you like you
0: develop a tolerance for yeah what i looked at in the very beginning
1: to. was very very tame almost like very soft core you might see it on tv um type stuff and it turned into in some ways, at least in in one season, like, really aggressive things that I would say, now as a married man, like, that's not love. Like, yeah. there's something more. Rage. Dominance. Dominance. Never, like, you know, like, rape, but, like, a an aggression that I don't have with you. Like, I, I love you. Um, but there was just this intensity and I found my. it didn't really matter. It would be, didn't matter what genre. It was kind of like whatever popped up on the screen first. Um, And so for me, it didn't, it didn't matter what it was. It just mattered that there was someone that looked like me um, that I could kind of connect with.
0: Mm. When did you, so a lot of people, when we talk about addiction, there's a moment where they're realizing it's like disturbing their life <laughs> like their everyday yeah. life and there's a there's like a moment where they're like I need help what was that moment for you did you ever have it
1: oh i had i had several across the years but the first the first one was i became a christian so i grew up in a christian household with wonderful parents who were believers and all of that but by the time i was i was an atheist i was agnostic rather i believed god existed i did not believe that he cared and i hated him and i tried to tell him that every day or so um and i i had a deep rage towards god for making me just felt like he he did a crappy job like he stopped halfway through i felt incomplete so um When I became a Christian, I started to see some of the ways that I had made this an idol. I knew it was wrong. I knew that it wasn't healthy for me and all this stuff. But when I became a Christian, it really became clear. In my head, I truly believed until that point I could stop anytime I wanted. Mm. I simply had not stopped because I had no compelling reason to. And... That was the first failure of my life. I I think yeah, the first thing that I had tried with all of my being to stop doing or or to to be successful at, and failed. Mm. Never happened. It never happened in in sports or in, in academics or whatever I tried to do. I'd been I'd been successful if I were willing to try, like if it really really mattered. I could I could win whatever it needed to be. And mm. I knew I had a problem similar to, like, the story of Samson where Samson, like, has all these close calls and he always kind of breaks himself free of bondage. I went to shake myself free. And the chains were too like, tight.
0: Nothing happened. Yeah.
1: And I was like, oh, my. I remember, like, the it was like an epiphany. Like, oh, my God.
0: I could not stop this. I, I, can't stop.
1: Mm. I can't stop. I can't stop. And it scared the heck out of me. And it, from the time I knew I couldn't stop to the time I actually was able to stop, maybe six or seven years yeah, six and seven years of of just being enslaved. Um, and it makes sense because I put more than six or seven years' worth of identity and idolatry and value into it. yeah. But um, it, it, I gave this a lot of me, a lot of time. And it was the fight of my life to just get one arm free, <laughs> you know, just to, like, step out of the gates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If there was anything that you could share with someone who does not understand this struggle what would you share?
1: I actually talked to a lot of people about this. Um, Men specifically are conditioned to self-medicate. Hmm. What do you
0: mean by that?
1: Culture tells men through a bunch of different ways that their emotions, when they have them, are unreasonable. Um... And so they're taught, I feel like we're taught to self-medicate legitimate pain by covering it up with something very often that's, that's sex. Um, and I have never met a person who was addicted to porn, or most people won't even admit that they're addicted, or they don't understand what addiction looks like, and so they don't think they have a problem. Um, but I've never met a man that was struggling with it who had a healthy emotional literacy, who, Mm -hmm. like, knew what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. For me, I was feeling the weight of, like, legitimate Lifetime Movie-esque trauma. Capital T trauma. trauma. Like, real bad stuff. I had convinced myself that my emotions were a personal failing. And the porn helped me to not feel that. It was just, in retrospect, I can say, oh, that disappointed me. Or I felt like a failure there. Or I was scared about this. And when you know, I went and masturbated. Um, So now, in retrospect, I can connect it. But at the time, it was just like, oh, I'm just doing this because I feel like it. Mm. And because around me, it was so common for the over-sexualizing of men to be normalized. Of like, oh, yeah, everybody looks at it everybody does it like it's this is me being a normal american male yep
0: Yep. is what
1: i told so it wasn't it was like no this is it'd be weird if i doesn't wasn't doing it that
0: part is talked about but not the part not the shame Mm -hmm. like not the feelings that come afterwards because you're talking about how that was that was something that you felt and experienced before you even became a christian so it wasn't related to religion
1: it wasn't i i knew that
0: well, rather, it was in some ways, but not in a personal way. Yeah, it was it, it
1: was more the, the belief that I felt like I had been controlled by something. You know, I, might, I think in the beginning, you kind of convince yourself that you're controlling it. But by the end of it, I've said this to friends 10 or 12 in a room, and everyone laughed and agreed because it was a common feeling. I've said there have been points where towards the end of a session... Let's say if someone had come in the room and put a gun to my head, I could not have stopped. Like if they, if Mm. if someone literally pulled a gun up to my head and was like, stop right now, it'd have been like, bro, you got to, Hey, you, (laughs) you had to do what you got to do because I cannot stop. Mm. Um, that sense of like, of being, of not even being in control of your body, um, was what was shameful. Mm. But I would say like, if, if. You know, talking to people who are trying to, like, understand this more. I believe fundamentally, and I have no evidence otherwise, that this issue is always a a numbing, a self-medication of emotional pain. Mm. Um, It is, I do not want to feel this. I do not want to consider X. And very often, men specifically have no idea what they're feeling. Um, where they could not tell you. You'd have to ask 30 questions to get down to it. Um, but they start feeling the negative emotion at question one. If you ask them what's wrong, they'll say nothing. But mm-hmm. they'll feel wrong. And they'll go, I I'll, I, felt wrong. Um, and I went to this to not feel that way. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it shifted the narrative of, oh, this is why I feel wrong. So I would have something... I would have legitimate emotional pain. I would go to porn and masturbation. And then at the end of it, I would blame my initial emotional pain on the fact that I masturbated.
0: Forgetting that something led you to it. Yeah,
1: I feel bad because I masturbated. But no, I went to masturbate because I felt bad. Hmm. And so what happened was I was feeling bad about the same two, three things for seven years. I could never get to even acknowledging that I felt bad. Um, the narrative kept shifting. I feel bad because I can't stop masturbating. I masturbated because I can't stop masturbating. Mm. It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you masturbated because, like, you, you're you a seven-year-old boy who is terrified because you experienced a lot of trauma at seven years old, and you've never grown past that. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if you know someone that's struggling and you're struggling to find grace... I would say recognize that there's a 99.99% chance that they are self-medicating a pain they do not even realize is there. And if you tried to tell them it was there, they would get angry at you for the idea that they're in pain. Mm. And yet, their actions do not make sense unless they're in pain.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for answering those questions. Yeah. They're not the end of the questions. Um, in our next episode, we're going to do part two, and we're going to talk about how addiction to point of masturbation affects relationships. Yeah. And we're going to share a little bit about our relationship and how it's affected um, our relationship. So we'll hear a little bit about him and and maybe some of the expectations he thought would change <laughs> once he got wow. into a relationship uh, in courtship and dating in marriage, you know. Yeah. Um and then also from my perspective, what it means to be partnered to and married to someone who struggles with this and hold that for them. Yeah. You yeah. know, like that was that was that was hard. That was hard holding holding that thing for you while other people often looked at me like I didn't deserve. <laughs> they are like, you, yeah. Kyle's too good for you. And now I'm over here, like, crushed under this weight. You yeah, know, this yeah, thing. yeah. So, don't want to go too much into it. We'll talk about it more. You guys, thank you so much for just tuning in and being attentive to this episode. Um, I'm just so proud of you, Bud. Oh, well, Thanks you know, for sharing. I, I'm
1: just uh, trying to be honest, man. Just
0: a fine man telling the truth.
1: Well, there's a lot of, other, I guess, also fine men. Not as hard as you um, did. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's common. And it's so common Yeah. that I can't afford to not talk about it because most people don't have, honestly, they don't have a spouse that is prepared to maybe even walk alongside them. So, like, they just don't, they don't have a way to talk about it. I can talk about it. I have grace. I have privileges that allow me to talk about it. Mm. Um. And so I got to do my part because it's, it's it's killing a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we want life. Yeah. More life. So thank you guys so much. We appreciate you guys. We can't wait for the next episode to share more info with you guys. Also, shout out to the Inner Circle. They are getting um, the most candid versions of us. So yeah, we'll be this sharing. This was
1: the filtered version. If you the want very the real filtered stuff, version. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> Join the other circle.
0: Yeah, it's $10 a month. You get two bonus podcasts every single month, mental health resources, a guided meditation series, and to be a part of a bomb group chat where they get to ask us direct questions and a monthly Q&A. So it's really awesome. It's a great way to stay connected with other like-minded people while getting some mental health resources. Um, so join at the link in the bio. We will talk to you guys soon. Um...
1: Until the circle comes back around. Bye, y'all. Bye.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means the world to us. If you guys didn't know, we just reached the top 200 mental health podcasts in the U.S., and we want to keep pushing. So make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Also, join our Patreon. It's $10 a month. You get mental health resources from a licensed trauma therapist. I mean... It's pretty amazing. It's an amazing family. So join the inner circle. Plus we dropped our merch. It's been a crazy time and the slogan protect your peace has never meant more. So grab your t-shirt hoodie or crew neck when you get the chance and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.